Good morning. You are allowed to talk back to me at this point anyway. Great to see you all. Um, if you didn't get outline notes, which are going to help you as we go through to the talk today, then please raise your hand and one of the stewards will get them to you, some people around here. My name is Steve Campbell, pastor here, and we're in the middle of a series called God Tweets, Wisdom from Proverbs. And we're going to look at chapter 10 today. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn to it. I'm not going to read it all. I'm just going to dip into some of the verses that are there and choose one particular verse. Chapter 10 of Proverbs starts a whole new section of this book. It goes right through to chapter 22, verse 16. And I've counted these. That means there are 375 tweets because we're calling the series God Tweets, little short, pithy statements of wisdom between chapters 10 through to chapters 26. And you, if you've been around or you've listened online, you will know that the book of Proverbs is under the literary style, the, the genre of wisdom. It's a wisdom book. And that kind of helps us when we read a book like this, because we know that it's got poetry in it, a metaphor, and so we don't take it all literally, but we use it as examples to help us as we read. However, I've put a, a verse in your notes here that I just want to read that's not from Proverbs, that encapsulates a core value of C3 here. And that's whatever the book we're speaking from, from Genesis right the way through to Revelation and every book in between, we have a high value, we have a high regard. This is a hill we would die on that we believe the Bible to be the Word of God and useful, therefore, in all of life's situations. So this verse here from the New Living Translation says this, all Scripture, how much of Scripture? All Scripture, all of the Bible, is inspired by God. He used men and women to write it, but the inspiration was for Him, and from Him, and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Or one version says, training us in righteousness. And if chapter 10 of Proverbs that we're going to look in today is about anything, it's about training in righteousness, training in right living. It corrects and adjusts us and it addresses the status quo in our lives. And we get our instruction not from the world around us, but from the Word of God that is for us and shapes us. So that's the theme of chapter 10, how to live a right or a righteous life. Now, as I've read through this chapter, and I've, what, what I do when I'm preparing, I read the, the, the section of the Bible that I'm going to preach from time and time again, just go over it. So the last couple of weeks, I knew I was preaching from chapter 10. So I've read it many times, and I've got to be honest with you. There were loads of kind of ouch moments that as I'm reading it, I'm thinking, ah, oh, the finger of God, which is the Holy Spirit, seemed to touch something in my life that said, come on, Steve, adjust, change. Because if there's one thing, I've said one of our core values is we hold the Word of God in high regard and esteem. Another core value that we have here at C3 is we believe that people can, make, can be converted from darkness to light 
from the dominion of Satan to the kingdom of God. We believe in a real devil, but we believe in a real God. But we know that's just the stepping over the line, and we are devoted to making disciples. So that there is a process. Yeah, there is a, a decision that you make that is a life-changing decision. Yeah, it changes the whole trajectory of your life. Yeah, it secures your place in heaven. Yeah, there is that decision that you make. But that is only the start. And from there, there is this whole process of change. And chapter 10 of Proverbs is a great chapter to read. And it, for me, it's gone through me like a like a dose of salt, if I can say it in that way, where the Holy Spirit has just been putting his finger on different areas of my life. And I would just encourage you, as I go through this today and as we look at some of these verses, and I, I can't go through all of them. There are 32 verses in Proverbs 10. If I just took two minutes on every verse, that would take 64 minutes, and that's too long, isn't it? Oh, I, I had a no in the room, gave me permission. I, I won't take that long. I can't do that. So it's hard to actually take all those verses, which are completing themselves many times. But I'm going to take a theme and look into it. And I'm going to ask you, just pray in your heart, Holy Spirit, I'm open to you. Touch me. Change me. Help me to adjust my life to live a righteous life right life. And he hears you. I'm going to read just one verse initially, and this is the verse we're going to use as our launch pad for this talk this morning. It's in your notes again. It's Proverbs 10 and verse 9. It says this, whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but whoever takes crooked paths will be found out. Or the message paraphrase says it like this, honesty lives confident and carefree, but shifty is sure to be exposed. And it's the usual pattern here that you get in the Proverbs. You live this way, this is the result. Or you live that way, and that's the result. La, 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 la. It's this contrast and compare the verse. So the first verse says, a wise man brings joy to his father. But a foolish son grieved to his mother. It's this contrast between, and here you've got this contrast between living a life of integrity or a crooked life. The integrity walk breeds security. Integrity means you're not looking over your shoulder, wondering, am I going to be found out? Integrity means I don't have to think, now what did I say to this person over here that's different to the person over here that I said something? It's because you're consistent in what you have to say. If you live a crooked life, then you live with looking over your shoulder, fear, will I be found out? But according to the proverb, there's a security. Oh, it's, it's, it's less energy to live an honest life. You know, you, you, it's just, ah, oh, I can relax and be who I am. The way of wisdom brings rejoicing. So I want to speak today on how to develop integrity. How we can develop integrity. And we'll dip into this proverb and we'll use it by way of looking at some of the verses that are mentioned. Now first, I do want to give a definition of integrity. I think we all know what it means, but I just want to be clear that we know. And I've got two definitions. I prefer the second one. I'll say why. The first one, this is from the online dictionary, says this. Integrity is the quality of 
of being honest and having strong moral principles. And synonyms that go with that are honesty, uprightness, probity, rectitude, righteousness, honor, sincerity, truthfulness, virtue, and decency. That's what we tend to think of when we think of integrity. But the second definition that's given, I really like. Hear this. The state of being whole and undivided. Undivided. Psalm 86 says this. Teach me your ways, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. This undivided heart, this heart... This attitude, this motivation that says it's the same over here as it is over there. It's the same with this person it is with that person. There's an undivided, there's, there's a, a naturalness about you. In the church I, I grew up in, there was a Scotsman called Mr. Boner. Everybody liked Mr. Boner. He was a lovely, lovely man. And one day... I heard my dad, I think it was my dad with a guy called Bill McConnell and Ron Shaw, the three of them talking together about Mr. Boner. And even when we said his name, we all said his name a little bit quieter, Mr. Boner, because there was this respect we had for him. And I remember my dad saying this, he says, you never find Mr. Boner off his guard. And I think it was Ron Shaw that replied, no, you don't. You know why? Because he's never on it. He's never off his guard because he's never on it. And I found this, there was a wholeness about Mr. Boner that whether he was with peasants or princes, and he used to often, he never, he never spoke in the church in the main service. He was always in the after service that we had and kind of let different ones up at that. And, and however he spoke, there was this naturalness, there was this wholeness about him that drew you towards him. And I realize now, looking back, I couldn't have put words around it then, it's because he was so integrous. There was such an integrity about him. He was the same with whoever he was with, which included honesty, but included calmness. It included an attitude that was beautiful. I've been doing some research over the last few years about leadership. I enjoy reading about leadership. And some of the recent research about leadership is that the most effective leaders, and this is not just in churches, this is right across the board. The most effective leaders are not those who necessarily have a high IQ, but those that have a high EQ, which is emotional intelligence. In fact, some studies from Harvard say that the IQ of a leader is only 10 to maybe 25% of the overall picture of their success. And so much more is to do with EQ, emotional intelligence, which includes how we relate to people. And some of the things that they describe about emotional intelligence are this, that you have to learn, or the, the emotional intelligent per person is able to self-regulate. That means that they're able to bring a control within themselves so that their emotions don't run away. Some of us struggle with emotions running away from us and sometimes following very closely to that emotion are words that we 
wish we'd held back. And emotional intelligence, according to the research, is about these self-regulating habits. Listen to this. Self-control. Now, these guys have written books on this, but we know the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. It includes this. This is why I'm mentioning it. Trustworthiness, which is maintaining standards of honesty and integrity. Or conscientiousness, that's taking responsibility for your own performance. And I've realized that in regard to leadership and understanding people, how we're able to relate is very important. And our emotional intelligence has to do with our integrity so as that we're the same wherever we go. Now, one of the finger of God moments for me in this was after I'd read that passage, and I'm at home with my daughter. My daughter was leading the worship today. I don't know where she's gone, but she was in the room, Megan. And I got, I'd fallen asleep on the couch. And I got up, like I normally do, at 5 to 11, something like that, to ring my mum. And, and if you've been around a while, you all know I ring my mum every night, my 92-year-old mother, who's very frail, I ring her. Well, what I don't tell you is how I feel about ringing her. And so what happened that night? I got up and I said, oh, I've got to ring my mom. To which my daughter, Megan, says, oh, when you tell the church that you're ringing your mom, it sounds all very holy and nice that you're honoring her and doing it well. But when you're at home, you just say, oh, I can't be bothered. And oh, it's hard work. And she said, why don't you tell them about that? And I felt immediately the finger of God. And just to let you know, oh, there she is. Uh, that, that, that's the last time today Meg's leading worship here. I felt, oh, she's right. I sound very saintly. I'm ringing my mum every night. But I get off that couch and I think, oh, no, we're going to go through the same routine. It's all going to go wrong. We're gonna <laughs> she's going to hang up on me again because she does most nights by mistake. And then it all goes, and then we're back on. You know? and, I, and I moan about that, except for the last couple of weeks. I've done better, yeah? Thanks very much, Meg. And I realized that's a lack of integrity. I, I did this in the 930 service, mentioned it. And they obviously know me better than you. They all applauded what Meg had done, and we're all on her side. And someone came up to me afterwards and says, said to me, thank you for being honest. <laughs> we shouldn't need to be thanked for being honest, should we? I know what she was saying, and I'm grateful she did. But integrity is the same, being the same wherever we are. John Maxwell says this, leadership guru, you teach what you know, you reproduce what you are. If there is no integrity, we lack credibility. I was at a barber's a few years ago in Shelford. I remember exactly where it was. And this was probably five, six years ago, maybe more. And I was already suffering with hair loss. And I went in, sitting in the chair, the guy's cutting my hair, and there's a sign that was in front of me. So he's, I can see him in the mirror, and he's cutting it. And the sign said this, suffering hair loss, we can help. Speak to your barber now. I thought, that's great. I'm going I'm to have a chat with him. So I looked up, 
looked in the mirror to see him, and then realized he was a guy about the same age as me. He was totally follically challenged. That's a nice way of saying he was as bald as a coot. And I looked and I thought, what's the point? There is no integrity in this sign. There's no credibility. Whatever that sign says, if he's applied it, it doesn't work. We need, if we're to have credibility, to have integrity. Integrity, in the end of the day, is me living what I say. I could teach, for example, I could teach up here. Let's just take this an example. We must be on time. Melchizedek. We must be on time. It's a great name. Don't you think that's a great name, Melchizedek? Those parents named him. I think you're going to live long. I'm sure that's why they gave you. But uh, what was I saying? You've got to be on time. Got to be on time. And then every time I say that from up here, and then every time I'm late, guess what you're going to hear more than my words? My actions. And integrity is where our actions and our words match. And the constant challenge is to make sure we are what we teach and we teach what we are. And that's hard for preachers sometimes. You see something and then you have to let it go through you. I try to do this all the time. How does that apply to me? Where do I need to adjust? But for all of us, it's true. We need to make sure we are what we teach and we teach what we are. In our world, sadly, it is dominated by image. I think politics has maybe got a little better. This is not a, a statement on uh, Jeremy Corbyn, but one of the things people have said about him and his politics is at least it's conviction politics. Not making a comment whether it is or not, just what's been said. I think it's even a shame that we have to think to add the word conviction with politics. Surely that's why they enter it. And yet so many have been content in the past with sound bites and what sounds right and what the populace want will get the wording right because they're more interested in the image than they are in the substance. An image is what we want people to think we are, whereas integrity is who we really are. Two old ladies were going through a graveyard one day that was somewhat overcrowded. There was graves everywhere. And they came to this one gravestone and it was engraved, here lies John Smith, a politician and an honest man. And one lady looked at the other and said, good heavens, isn't it awful? They had to put two people in the same grave. <laughs> Jesus was really scathing about those who what he called whitewashed tombstones. That the image was great, but the substance underneath. Integrity. I, I don't, don't hear this, that it doesn't matter about image. <laughs> you know, I've, I've spoken to guys and girls in the past who want to get husbands and, uh, or wives and they look like a dog's dinner. Image is important, but as long as the image and the substance match, it's when there's something, there's a hollowness. Both, both must go together. Socrates said, the first key to greatness is to be in reality what we appear to be. So I'm going to go through in your notes here. We'll see how far we get. Just the five, six areas 
of how we can develop our integrity. And look at some verses from Proverbs 10 that help us. Here's the first one. Live for an audience of one. Live for an audience of one. Verse 29 in this chapter, this is from the message, says this. God is a solid backing to a well-lived life, but he calls into question a shabby performance. We looked at chapter 1 when we started this series that says this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or the beginning of wisdom. Somehow... When we sin, and we all sin, so I'm not claiming to be three foot above contradiction as I stand up here. We all sin, but somehow when we sin, something must go on in our minds that makes us think, and God ain't looking. But he is. We live for an audience of one. God is always looking. Now that can cause terror in your life, or it can be a pleasure to you in your life. Before I mention the fear side, and I'm not afraid of talking about fear, don't just hear this as living for an audience of one, is that God's looking at you to see what you're doing wrong. God's looking at you to see what you're doing right. And he's always out to catch you, good, and applaud you. You did that right. I'm a father of three children, all adults now, all grown. But I'll tell you, one of the delights in life has been when you're watching them, maybe when they don't even know that you're watching them, and there's something inside that's going, well done. Go for it. And to be able to tell them afterwards. I mentioned Meg earlier when she was uh, in primary school, the last year of primary school, she was in Hansel and Gretel. And she was Gretel. She was playing Gretel with rosy cheeks and the proper dress, polka dot and all, looked great. And I borrowed a video to video her. I'm at the back with all the paparazzi parents, you know, the video up there. And I, and I filmed it. And afterwards, we watched it back. The first thing was, I was right by the microphone on the video camera. So all you can hear is me going, go for it, Meg. Well done, Meg. Oh, super. Sing it, Meg. And at one point, you can hear me singing some of the words as well, which isn't, isn't helpful because we rehearsed at home. And, 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 and you can hear me doing it. And then... I zoom right into her face. It's like you can see every blemish, if she had any. And then I'd come back, and I'd go in again, and I'd come back, and you felt a little bit seasick after a while, because I'm just watching her, and my eyes are on her through the camera, and I'm going, well done, Meg, that's my girl, super. And then someone in the church here, their daughter was in it, Emily Smith, some of you remember the Smiths. And Rachel, the mother, said, can I have a copy of the video that you took. After I watched it, I thought, it's a waste of time. You wouldn't have known there was anybody else in the show except for Megan. Let me tell you this. God's eye is on you. And he, because he's God and not just an earthly father, he can zoom into you, Melody, and his eye is on you and he's listening to you. This is why we say, by the way, when we're in corporate worship and we use songs, sing, sing, people, because God's listening for your voice. You say, I've got an awful voice. He loves it. He loves, he loves the fact that you can't hear the notes. He smiles at it because he's listening for your voice. Don't ever think, oh, they can't hear me. It's not about us, it's God, and he loves to hear you sing. 
He loves your voice. He zooms in on you and he can see you. And he's looking for what you do right, not just what you do wrong. Live for this audience of one, knowing his eye is on you. Now, of course, as well as the pleasure, there is the side where God's watching over and he sees when we do stuff. But he doesn't want a punishment that punishes it. That's not his first disposition. That doesn't mean he'll pull back like any loving parent will, of course, discipline those they love. What we must ensure that we do is don't compartmentalize our lives that we think, well, God's watching me in church. His eye is on me here. He can see me here. He can see you wherever you go. Wherever you go. His eye is roaming, looking. And you've got his attention. Hypocrisy, which people you know, always say, don't they? Christians are hypocrites. Well, certainly not perfect, but let's try and avoid being a hypocrite. But what, what, one way we can avoid it is by making sure we don't compartmentalize our lives and think we have a church life, we have a home life, we have a work life, we have a, a community life. It's life. And God sees it all. It's Rick Warren that calls this the Titanic mistake. And he calls it that because apparently the hull of the Titanic was built in compartments. And the theory went that if one compartment was punctured and the water filled, because they were all isolated, the ship wouldn't sink because the other parts was still, still had integrity. The reality of it was that they didn't. So one part filled, the, the boat started to lean and it eventually went down. You know the story. It's a true story. If that's just ruined it for any of you thinking it's just a movie, it's more than a movie. It's a, a historical event. But hypocrisy comes from compartmentalizing our life. Rather, God sees the whole. There was a burglar one time who broke into a house at night and he had his torch with him and he's shining around the room and he sees a CD player in the corner and he's just about to put the CD player into his bag and steal it when he hears a voice in the darkness and the voice said, Jesus is watching you. And startled, he got his light, shone around, couldn't see anything. And so went back to get the stereo, the CD, and put it in his bag. And he's just about to pull the wires out when he hears the voice again. Jesus is watching you. And it frightens him, so he gets the light and he looks around. And then he sees in the corner a cage, and in the cage is a parrot. And he says to the parrot, was that you that just said that? And the parrot says, yep. So now the guy's a little bit confident now. He says, well, who are you? And the parrot says, I'm Moses. And the guy says, what kind of idiot would give a parrot the name Moses? And the parrot said, the same idiot that gave the name of the Rottweiler, Jesus. <laughs> Just let it sink in. Some of you haven't got that. You really haven't got that. Wherever we go, Jesus is watching us. There's two sides to it. There is the fear and there is the faith. Live for an audience of one. Secondly, this. Decide to always be truthful. Look how many verses 
in this chapter 10 relate to the use of your words. Verse 18 down to 21 says this, Whoever conceals hatred with lying lips and spreads slander is a fool. Sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongues. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver, but the heart of the wicked is of little value. The lips of the righteous nourish many, but fools die for lack of sense. What you say matters. The words that we speak are a window into our soul. Jesus said this, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Show me what you say and I'll know something about you. It's the way we relate. It's the way we understand one another. When you verbalize something, it comes out of the depths of your heart. If we lie, we lie because we're hiding something in our heart. If you slander someone, according to this passage here, you are a fool. But it says, he who restrains his lips is wise. And in the multitude of words, sin is present. Here's some great wisdom of how some of you, some of us, could grow in integrity. Ready? Talk less. Talk less. Less. See, words are creative, not in some kind of health and wealth way. You know, people say, are you into health and wealth? I always struggle with that one because it sounds like if I say no, then I'm into poverty and sickness, and I'm not into that either. But words create. Because we're made in the image and likeness of God, God created with his words. So we form our world by our words. Someone said to me the other week, and please don't say this to me, and if I look it, they came to me and they said, wow, you're looking tired. The moment they said that, I felt tired. And I'd felt great up to then. And I said, oh, maybe I am. I hadn't felt absolutely fine. Those words created something by way of atmosphere. So I'd say to us, be careful with our words and realize they create Oh, well, someone told me something about an individual a few weeks ago, what they were like, and I hadn't met this person, and then I met them. And the whole time, because someone had created an image about what this person was like, I'm listening and watching them and thinking, and they're going to do this now because this person said that's what they're like. And they weren't like what that person had said at all. But I had created, through words, an image of what a person was like. Gossip is murder with words. And here's my question. Are our words honoring? I can tell, I've been in this church 22 years now. 22 years. Families have grown up, children have got married, moved away. All you know, I can tell you by the way some children relate or have related to us, what the conversation, us as leaders, what the conversation has been at home about us. Because kids aren't as easily, they, uh, they don't put an image on quite the same way that parents are able to do. And some things that have been said that I didn't dare repeat, it's because I know that's a repeating of a conversation somewhere at home. 
Do you honor with your words when people are present as well as when they're not present? How am I doing with my speech? Oh, and let me mention this. Your speech includes social media. And social media stays on there forever. And any sensible employer these days checks out a potential employee on Facebook to see what they've said. And you can go quite a way back. So if some of you hear nothing else but what you hear today is please be careful, especially if you mention us as a church. Some, some, some people, not in this room today, have put some things on Facebook and then mentioned C3. And I'm thinking, please don't mention C3. And, and, and I've, I've added sometimes something, maybe. But I'm thinking, no, no, no. That's going to stay on there. And what you put on Facebook not only reveals your heart, but maybe, or any other social media, identifies you with Christ or as a Christ follower. Be really careful. Lesson over. Your words are worth what you are worth. You say, well, I don't lie. This is all right for me. Do you exaggerate? Do you miss a detail to make yourself look better? Or even do you remain silent when you should speak? Because that can speak approval. Telling the truth can be costly. A few years ago, my wife and I were in, having an argument at home. It happens reasonably regular, but we were, we were arguing. And I was particularly nasty on that day. I said something that I shouldn't have said. Beastly, I think, might be a good description to describe it. I raised my voice, and then Ange, my wife, started to cry. Just as she's in the midst of crying, there's a knock on the door. It's one of those moments you have a choice. The first thing that went through my mind was to say, down, on the floor, don't move. But that wouldn't have been integrity. So we thought, what are we going to do? So let's just open it, see who it is. And it was Martin, a guy who used to come to the church here, lived down the road from us. I said, come in, Martin. And Martin walked in, walked into the kitchen, took one look at Ange, who was trying to recover, blotchy eyes, bit of mascara that had run, and she's there. He looked at me, I looked at him. And again, a thought went through my mind. I wanted to say... We've just been in prayer and praying for all these starving people in the world and we're really moved and she's crying. But honesty prevented me and so I was honest. I said, Martin, we've just had a row and I've said something really horrible to my wife. And I remember him saying, well, I, I just wanted to call in, see how you were, I'll come back later. That was 15 years ago, we haven't seen him since. But the, the, <laughs> there's something... What, you think I'm joking? Something went on that I was honest about. When words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. Truth can hurt, but let's be vulnerable. Can we? You will grow in your integrity the more vulnerable you're able to be. And you may need to choose some people whom you are confident in to be vulnerable with. 
Andrew Harris, I don't know whether he's in the room or running around somewhere, he's a man I trust deeply. The other week I was in a context and I said some things and Andrew was there and I didn't know, I genuinely felt some kind of conviction and I thought, did I sin? And so I asked Andrew the next day as, as a friend, I said, Andrew, I don't mind straight talk, honest talk, but in my words, did I sin? And I felt I, tr I could trust him to say that. I'm not going to tell you what the answer was, uh, but I made myself vulnerable. Who do you make yourself vulnerable to? Because in vulnerability and honesty, you will grow. Thirdly this, listen to others. I'm only going to say this. You've got two ears, one mouth. Use it proportionately. Listen to others. Fourthly this, be faithful in the small and natural things. Look at this verse, verse 4. Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. Verse 5, he who gathers crops in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps during harvest is a disgraceful son. I just want to make this clear to a kind of side statement. The Bible does not condemn those who've come to poverty for no fault of their own. Compassion and grace should be shown to them. What it does do is rebuke laziness and those who have become poor through laziness. And the way we encourage, we should encourage uh, work in this church is through saying, come on, we should be conscientious in everything we do. That young lady back there, Martha, would you just like to stand, Martha? Martha's studying at the university here, so she's got a high IQ. I'm going to guess, or she wouldn't have got in. But this morning, her bike broke, and she couldn't get here on time, cycling from town out to here. So what does she do? Through Facebook or through Messenger, she sent a message that I actually picked up. Usually it's our manager, Josh, who does it, but I picked it up. He was playing the guitar, and she said, I'm so sorry I'm going to be late. I'm going to get public transport, and I'm going to run in order to try and get there as early as I can, but I'm sorry I'm late. That, my friends is conscientiousness. Hello? She deserves a round of applause, none of you doing that. And you say, that's a tiny little detail, she's on the Connect team, but we can trust her with little and with much. Thank you, you can be seated. Be faithful in the small and the natural. A few years ago, there was a guy in this church called David Dancy, some of you may remember him. David asked one weekend, could he borrow our car? At that time, we had a people carrier, and we took all the seats out, and he wanted to carry a lot of stuff. I said, of course you can, David. So David borrowed our car, and then after the weekend, he returned it. When he returned the car, I hardly recognized it. It was so clean. The wheels were blacked. The chrome was polished. Inside was spotless. I turned the engine on. The fuel gauge went right to full. It was absolutely as full as it could be. And I said, David, this is fantastic. Thank you. I remember asking him, do you want to borrow it every weekend? <laughs> he was so conscientious. That guy, I don't know where he is today. I've lost some, some of you may know where he is. He, 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 he always wanted to be a pilot. He eventually went and trained as a pilot. 
somewhere today, I don't know whether it's passenger or whether it's cargo, what he does, but somewhere today, he's a pilot flying a plane. And I'm really glad. If I was on his plane, I'd like to know that it was full of fuel. I know he wasn't going to wash the plane himself personally, but it's nice to know that there's someone in that driving seat who's so conscientious, even in the small details of life. Are you? My wife, who actually is, well, she probably landed now, she's flying back from, from Berlin today, is one of the most conscientious people I know. And those people I mentioned before, Martin, down the road from where we live, one time we'd been strawberry picking with them. We had all these strawberries and he said, I remember him saying, why don't you make some ice cream? And we said, well, that's a good idea, but we haven't got an ice cream maker. We've got one you can borrow. And so they lent us their ice cream maker. And he said, the only thing I'd say is, when you scoop the ice cream out after it's frozen, do it with a wooden spoon, otherwise you'll scratch the T-file coating in the uh, container. So we made the ice cream. The next day, my wife's in the kitchen. And I heard this sound that went crunch. I remember saying, Ange, what are you doing? She said, I'm getting the ice cream out. I said, no, no, no. You've got to use a wooden spoon. So we washed it, and there was this gash all the way around. That night, my wife couldn't sleep. She went on the internet, and she found the make and the model, and she ordered the actual bowl to add in that was a new bowl with this ice cream maker. It came a few days later, and I remember them asking for it back, and we said, oh, we'll yeah, yeah, we'll give it you back soon. And so we didn't want to tell them. And then the, we gave it to them back a few days later, and it was with a new bowl, and we said, look, sorry, but it got scratched. We wanted to make sure we gave it you back better than you'd given it to us. Do you know what that was? Conscientiousness, integrity. A few weeks later, that family came and parked next to us in the car park where we were meeting at that time, a homerton. And I remember Martin saying to his children as they got out of the car, be careful, kids, don't scratch the Campbell's car because if you do, we'll have to buy them a new one. <laughs> Are you conscientious? Musicians, will you come back? Are you conscientious in the small details of life? There's other two points you can look at the Proverbs that are related to it, but here's my closing question to you. How important is integrity in our world today? It's absolutely vital. When I was at school, we used to have a headmaster, Mr. Bamforth. I remember him calling us in because there'd been an accident on the way home from school one day and someone had fallen into a hedge and they'd, they'd broken the hedge and the, the local people had complained and he said to us uh, in assembly, I remember him in his cloak in front of us all, whenever you're in school uniform, you represent this school. Christian, we are never out of uniform. We are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. Do our actions and our integrity reveal that which is within through new birth? What things do we need to adjust in order to live a life that is righteous? Let's stand and sing.